Chapter 9 of Catherine Booth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Marie. Catherine Booth by Meldred Duff. Chapter 9 Love. The truest love must ever seek the highest good of its object. Sometimes, even with forgetfulness of important, smaller advantages. Mrs. Booth The second great quality in Mrs. Booth's character, as given by the first general, was her love. She was love, he says. Her whole soul was full of tender, deep compassion. Oh, how she loved! How she pitied the suffering poor! How she longed to put her arms around the sorrowful and help them! How, asked Mrs. Booth once, are we to put heart into people? Even grace seems to fail to do so in many circumstances. I think it needs mothers to do this from infancy upwards. You will recollect that Mrs. Mumford fostered this heart and love in her little girl, and you will remember how keenly Katie felt blazing up into wrath at any story of wrong or injury, and ready to sacrifice her life for those she loved. This spirit grew within her. She could not help caring and struggling to help all who needed her. The general often told her in later years that she was killing herself by carrying everyone's burdens. Then she would try to leave off for a little, but her heart was too strong, and she could not hold it back. When but a child, running down the road with her hoop and stick, she saw a drunkard being dragged off to prison by a policeman. All the people were jeering and mocking at the poor friendless wretch. Instantly, Katie's pity and love fired up. She dashed across the street and marched along close beside the man's side so that he might feel that at least one little heart cared for him and wanted to help him. To the end of her life, she carried this deep, tender pity everywhere she went. She loved the poor. With all their faults, she said, they have larger hearts than the rich, and she loved them for it. Where anyone had a warm heart, she could forgive and overlook many mistakes. But with cold, narrow, fishy souls, she had neither sympathy nor patience. Our army mother's help was practical. 
she did not only give money or pity, but she, so to speak, rolled up her sleeves and helped the suffering herself. Every sort of suffering and need appealed to her. If an animal was wounded or in pain, she stopped and herself relieved it as best she could and to the last if she saw a horse or any creature being ill-treated she would not hesitate to rush out and stop the driver or in some way force him to leave off his cruelty she was not only kind and helpful to those she liked but every living thing that suffered had a claim upon her and the greater the need the more tender and ready was her help mrs booth was a people's woman and she was never weary of scheming and planning how to help the poor in the most practical way when i see people going wrong she said when but a girl of twelve, I must tell the poor things how to manage. Dirt and sin and drink and misery could not quench this love. It was a part of her very nature. Long, long before slum sisters were ever thought of, Mrs. Booth did their work herself just because she so loved the poor and longed to help them. You shall read the story in her own words. I remember in one case finding a poor woman lying on a heap of rags. She had just given birth to twins, and there was nobody of any sort to wait upon her. I can never forget the desolation of that room. By her side was a crust of bread and a small lump of lard. I fancied a bit of butter, the woman remarked apologetically, noticing my eye fall upon the scanty meal. And my mon, he'd do out for me he could, bless him. He could not get me any butter, so he fetched me this bit o' lard. Have you ever tried lard instead o' butter? It's rare good, said the poor creature, making me wish I had taken lard for butter all my life, that I had been the better able to minister to her needs. However, I was soon busy trying to make her a little more comfortable. The babies I washed in a broken pie dish, the nearest approach to a tub that I could find, and the gratitude of those large eyes that gazed upon me from out of that wan and shrunken face can never fade from my memory. Before public meetings took up so much of her time, she delighted in this house-to-house -house visiting and went especially for the drunkards over whom God gave her a wonderful power. 
i used to visit in the evenings she said because it was the only part of the day in which i could get away and besides i should not have found the men at home at any other time i used to ask one drunkard's wife where another lived they always knew after getting hold of eight or ten in this way and getting them to sign the pledge i used to arrange for cottage meetings for them and try to get them saved they used to let me talk to them in homes where there was not a stick of furniture and nothing to sit down upon in this way our army mother sought and cared for the drunkards long before drunkards brigades were dreamed of when at a later time in her life she heard of the wicked and cruel way in which young girls were trapped and drawn into sin mrs booth's soul was filled with a whirlwind of holy indignation i feel as though i could not rest but as though i must go and ferret out those monsters myself she wrote almost everybody notwithstanding the indignation seems so content with talking nobody appears willing to take the responsibility of doing or risking anything oh what a state the world has got into but deep and practical as was her love in earthly things her passion for lifting and leading souls into salvation and holiness was a thousand times more intense if we only realized as we ought the value of souls we should not live long under it she said and she herself realized it fully enough to make her fight on ceaselessly in spite of intense weakness if it were not for eternity she often sighed i should soon give up this life it was love for souls that made her go from town to town careworn weary often quite unfit to meet the immense congregations that came to hear her it was love for souls which kept her sitting for hours at her writing-table when she should have been resting trying to help those who turned to her for counsel and direction from every part of the globe it was love for souls which gave her many a sleepless night and chained her to her knees weeping and pleading agonizing with god on behalf of the people she was to face the next day and this love for souls grew even stronger as death came near eva she exclaimed to one of her daughters as she lay racked with agonizing pain don't you forget that man with the handcuffs on find him go to lancaster jail let somebody go with you and find that man 
tell him that your mother when she was dying prayed for him and that she had a feeling in her heart that god would save him and tell him hard as the ten years of imprisonment may be it will be easier with christ than without him she was lying between earth and heaven thinking of the joy and peace awaiting her when it seemed as if she saw the dark face of a heathen woman and heard the cry won't you help us the old love for perishing souls woke again directly and she cried oh yes lord i will go anywhere to help poor struggling people i will go on an errand to hell if the lord would promise me that the devil should not keep me there in one of these last days she sent a dying message to the officers tell them she said that the only consolation for a salvationist on his deathbed is to have been a soul winner after all my labors i feel i have come short of the prize of my high calling beseech them to redeem their time for we can do little at the best a little maid who was a cadet came into mrs booth's sick-room once as she was speaking and she called her to her bedside giving her warning and counsel which every corps cadet can take as though spoken to herself you will be finished with the dishes soon she said and you are going to be a cadet i have been very pleased with you while you have been here because you have worked out of sight with a good will and i think you will make a brave officer you will promise me will you she said as she laid her trembling hand on the girl's head you will promise me will you she said as she laid her trembling hand on the girl's head yes was the reply i will amid stifled sobs give me a kiss then said mrs booth promise me that you will never get spoiled by any unfaithful officer if you ever get mixed up with any such do not hide it from headquarters but let them know about it and they will soon move the false away from you i shan't be here but oh may god help them to get rid of the wrong discernment of spirits oh why should we not have that gift back it is very necessary mrs booth's whole heart was wrapped up in the spread of the army and she was never more of a warrior than when fighting its battles and the army needed someone to stand up for it in those days we who live today can hardly fancy the fierce 
bitter persecution that the early-day salvationists had to fight through. Now, even those who dislike and despise us are forced to admit that the army does a great deal of good. But then it was different, and again and again, both by speech and writing, Mrs. Booth had to defend and stand up for our methods. I would not, she says, after she had spoken too plainly for some rich people who were offended at her words, sit down and listen to their abuse of the Salvation Army for all their money. But I did not say a word that I would object to have published upon the housetops. Such, however, is the spirit of the rich. They think that one must sit and hear whatever they may choose to say, and hold one's breath, because of their money. But no, I will never be dumb before a golden idol. She loved the uniform. She herself planned that worn by army women, and always wore her own, rejoicing to be able to give our people a way of escape from the fashions and extravagances of the world. She loved the flag, and was true to its beautiful meaning. She loved to present colors to the newly opened corps, or to parties of officers going abroad. And when, shortly before she passed away, she changed her room, she begged that the dear army flag be brought in and hung above her bed. There, said the general, the colors are over you now, my darling. And she clasped them fondly with her left hand and traced the motto, Blood and Fire. Yes, she said, Blood and Fire. That is just what my life has been, a constant and severe fight. It ought to be, Blood and fire and victory, said the general. I'll fight on till I get it, she answered. I won't give in. Next time I see them, I shall be above the pain and sorrow forever. It ought to be blood and fire and victory, said the general. But though at last she longed to be at rest, it was not easy for her great mother's heart to unloose itself from those she loved, and from the thousands in all lands who looked to her as a mother. If you have learned to love very deeply, you will also have to suffer, and her very love made the parting so difficult. Oh, she exclaimed, when speaking of leaving the general and her children, mine is such a heart, it seems as if it had got roots all round the world, clutching on to one and another, 
and that it will not let them go. And yet, you can take care of them, Lord, better than I could. I do, I do believe. O Eternal Father, Shepherd of the sheep, do thou look after my little flock. Amen. We who read these lines may say, adding to her prayer, and give us the same heart and love which made her life of such mighty power. End of chapter 9